Hi, my name is Allison Magyari, and you're listening to Experiencing Data. Experiencing Data explores how product managers, analytics leaders, data scientists, and executives are looking at design and user experience as a way to make their custom enterprise data products and analytics applications more useful, usable, and valuable. And now, here's your host, the founder and principal of Designing for Analytics, Brian O'Neill. Welcome back, everyone. This is Brian T. O'Neill. You're listening to Experiencing Data. Today, I have someone who recently popped up in my radar from the Women in Analytics Conference, which I didn't go to, but I saw, I think it was International Institute for Analytics had a great blog post. And Alison Megyari, my guest today, she was cited in this uh, as giving a really interesting talk that had to do with how human-centered design or design thinking had been applied to her BI and analytics team. And since we had our first call, you've you've actually moved on into a new role over there. But some of these principles are actually going to be dragged over to that new department, if I understood. So I thought this would be really interesting because that team apparently wanted some of these skills. So first of all, welcome to the show. Thank you for coming on here. Why does someone who is working in dedicated application platforms, why does the, who, the leadership there care about design? Hi, Brian. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, the new role that I'm in, manager of dedicated application platforms, is really on the more technical side of the house. So it's looking at how do we um, actually set up the infrastructure for some of our major platforms, such as Oracle, SAP, Exadata, Cloudera, and some of our legacy systems, too, like the mainframe, Superdomes, AS400s. So it's, it's really looking at our infrastructure from a different angle. And why design thinking was intriguing for this role was just to get more of voice of the customer. I think in IT, it's really you know interesting how sometimes we get caught up in just looking at the technology for what it is, and we forget that the technology is there to serve our business partners. So part of this role will really be working with our business users. How are they working on some of our major platforms? What is their experience like when they have to do things daily in Oracle or SAP? Is the performance going well? Are they noticing lags when we're doing things such as patching? It's really that voice of the customer is what we're hoping to gain in this new role. Got it. Got it. And can you tell people what Eaton is? I forgot to mention your your organization's name is E-A-T-O-N. What is Eaton and what does that have to do with electricity? Eaton is Cleveland's largest corporation. So we are just over $21 billion in sales. And we really have two pieces. So we have an industrial side of the house and within industrial we have a vehicle. We just have sold off our hydraulics group and then aerospace. And so we make a lot of components that go into things like airplanes, uh, vehicle motors. So basically just keeping a lot of the manufacturing pieces working. And then on the other side of the house, our electrical side, we do everything from stadium lighting to hospital generators to LED lighting. So it's a really robust business and it's growing quite a bit as well. So two, two big sides to it. It's a really interesting product line because our products are basically in everything, but you would never know because they're kind of small components in, in literally millions of overall products. Right, right. So tell our listeners a little bit about the talk that you gave at that Women in Analytics conference. Yeah, so I was really excited. That was my first time being a part of the Women in Analytics conference. But really what I talked about there was all around design thinking. So this concept of how do we really create a mindset when we are doing requirements gathering, this was specific to analytics, 
of um, getting people's sentiment of one when they're using data, how they're making decisions, how they're doing their job, and um, how are they feeling while they're doing it. And that's really different, I think, than a lot of things in IT. Again, where we you use the feeling word. (laughs) (laughs) With analytics. Uh. I know. I can hear listeners cringing right now. (laughs) (laughs) I was met with some resistance on that for sure. (laughs) I guess how I got into that too was just like you said, it's kind of the oddball in the group. So I'd been managing the business analyst team. So we had a pretty large group of analysts and our entire team. So solution designers, um, architects, business analysts, project managers. We all took a test called Insights. That's kind of like a personality type test. And um, we had 52 people in our department at the time. And 51 out of the 52 of us led with blue energy, which basically meant that you want the details in a meeting up front. You want to lead with data. You want to know all the facts and figures as a way to kick off a meeting. I being the only one, so I was the one out of the 52 (laughs) that led with yellow energy, which was really, I want to get to know you first. I want to talk about your weekend. I want to see how you're feeling in your day for a couple minutes, kind of get comfortable, and then we can get down to business. (laughs) So it was a lot of me Googling why I had been successful in my role when I was so vastly different from the other 51 members on my team. Yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit about, like, first of all, this design thinking process, maybe you can tell us a little bit how it works. But before you do that, I'm curious, was there an old way of doing it? And then there was this other way with design. And where did that come from? Like people just drop out of the sky and just decide, oh, I'm going to do it this other way now. What happened? Yeah, what was kind of interesting was um, so when I first became a business analyst at Eaton, when we had kicked off any analytics project, basically it was me meeting with as the business analyst meeting with one of our business users And a lot of times that business user wasn't going to even be an end user to our analytics. But it was basically meeting with them and just asking them, what do you want us to build for for you from an analytics perspective? (laughs) And nine out of 10 times, you know, it was some crazy spreadsheet request. So usually a spreadsheet with 100 columns on it because they were so afraid. This was their only time that they were ever going to interface with IT. They didn't want to leave anything out. So it was like basically a data dump. Give me a data dump from the ERP, and then I'll go in and, and pick and choose which, which fields I want to put together to create my report. And so we started doing that on a number of projects. And, you know, it was really defeating because it took a lot of time, obviously, to pull that data out of an ERP, put it into a data warehouse. It took so much time to validate 100 columns of data. And then by the time we got to go live, we noticed that our adoption rates after go live were like 10% of what we had expected. We were just noticing it was just data dump after data dump. And our, our users weren't happy, you know, that they hadn't changed how they felt about their job in any way. So it was really a lot of work and not good return on that work that really led me to think there's got to be a better and a different way to, to handle this. Right, right. And the measurement of that satisfaction, was that just like crickets, like, we never heard from them again, or was it like they weren't really happy with it? Or how did you know that it wasn't working? Like, what was the signal? Kind of a mix. So at time of go live, we'd always have like our final conference room pilot where the users would test everything and then it would go live the following Monday, for example. And we'd go to those meetings and there was, like you said, just complete silence on the call. 
There was no excitement. There was no, you know, we were trying to kind of rah, 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 cheerlead our way to the end. And nobody was happy about it or excited about it. And then we saw too, after, you know, like six months after Go Live, the usage statistics on it were minimal. When we talked to the users, they expressed a lot of the same frustrations that they had with an old tool set because they were following the exact same process. They were getting that 100 column spreadsheet and having to do all these things manually. So there was just a lot of frustration, I would say, on their part. And they didn't see the value at all that IT brought or that the analytics team really brought to them. We were just replicating a major pain point that they'd had for the last 20 years, but in a, in a nicer tool, basically. Just to reiterate this for, for listeners, you can give people exactly what they asked for, but if you're really designing solutions and data-driven products with someone, if they're really for somebody else, we actually have to dig in and you have to figure out the unarticulated needs and they may not know how to ask for that. And they may not know how they're going to make a decision about something. And you can say, well, you're not prepared to talk to us yet, or you can be part of helping them decide how will you make a decision with this information? Let us be part of that problem finding exercise with you, not just the solution part, because you can fail if you just give people what they ask for, right? So how did you guys do that? Like, how did you make the change or what happened such that you're like, there's got to be a better way? Or like, can you tell me what your experience was? Yeah, so it's a kind of a combination of, I think our leadership really understood that they did not see the excitement either. They realized how expensive our projects were, how long they had taken, and the morale of our team was going down. So at that point, I think they were open to potentially a new way of doing things. And it was kind of that married with that insights profile where I was the only yellow one. So I had done a lot of research at that point on design thinking. It popped up as a result of empathy. So between those two things, I kind of got leadership's attention and I said, let's just try it on one project. And if it fails, if people make fun of us for talking about feelings in IT, we can go back to the, the old way of doing things. But I think it was worth at least a pilot. And so at that point, I think both sides, the business users and IT, were really open to, it can't hurt. It can't get worse, I guess, <laughs> than what it already is. So let's try a new way of doing things. Can you give listeners, make this concrete, like give a specific example of, because you're not, it's not like, go in and we just talk about feelings all day. This is like, I could tell some listeners probably skin is crawling with the idea of this. How are you using that to your advantage as a provider of an analytic solution? What are the questions you ask? And can you give an example of how that had a practical application? Absolutely. So um, the four pillars, I would say, of design thinking or the process that we followed were what is, what if, what works, and then what wows. So we started with the what is, which is basically taking a really good inventory of current state. So, you know, it used to be in analytics projects, we would document how the business users were getting data, how they were using it, but it was very basic. We'd put it into a Visio diagram and, and kind of call it a day step by step. Where with design thinking, you do that same step, but you also add in sentiment along the way. So between your first step and your second step, so maybe you're pulling from three different systems and, and putting everything into Excel, we also noted down what was the sentiment of the users while they were doing that. So a lot of times they did say, oh my gosh, it's so frustrating. It takes so long. I am so scared when I'm doing this that I'm going to miss one column of data and then everything's going to be wrong and I'm going to report data wrong to 
the organization. So we kind of just noted down in terms of feelings. We didn't ask them directly. What are you feeling? (laughs) Um, We kind of just noted down just things that they either told us in terms of their worry points or just how it caused stress or frustration. And then we also, as much as we could, we spent time with the users and really watched them. So if we saw they got tense or if they were gritting their teeth while they were telling us this or they were putting their hands on their head, we really just kind of noted what was our feeling of how they felt about that process. Um, So a little more indirect, I would say, (laughs) as a way. And do you, as part of this process, do you talk to the customers about addressing that? Like, hey, we noticed like, you seem really concerned about data entry problems on this screen or whatever. Do you, do you talk about that or did you just, did you just build, did you just correct for that in the solution phase, not necessarily directly addressing it? How much was the user involved with these observations that you made about them? At first, to be honest with you, we, we didn't really include them very much. We kind of just noted it down and, and kind of took what we were noticing. But after a couple of projects of doing that, we thought it would be beneficial just to confirm our understanding for one thing of we're not misreading them, we're not misrepresenting them in any way. What was interesting, though, is that our users so appreciated when we would mirror back to them what they were feeling and we were right about it. I mean, they were much more open to talking to us. Then they were much more open in sharing exactly what they were feeling. <laughs> um, so it did kind of open them up even more, you know, that we understood and that we did want to truly help them to make it better. And we could alleviate pain points, that that's what we were there to do in IT. Mm-hmm. Was there a particular project you did this on where you saw a big win or maybe a group you had kind of done it the old way and you flipped the script and you tried this approach and you had a different outcome, something that you could share with us? Yeah. So one of our our key stakeholders is the finance team. So that was a mix of accounts payable, accounts receivable, project accounting, uh, general ledger reporting. So it's kind of the full gamut of the finance reporting. And when we first started working with them, we did not follow a design thinking approach and they were probably the biggest offender of give me every single possible right. column. <laughs> they were doing a lot of manual work. So that was one of our, our first customers that we did use design thinking. And they were the ones that really embraced it the most, too. I was a little skeptical because, as you know, finance is typically just about the numbers, not really a, a touchy-feely <laughs> um, kind of group. I was a little bit nervous to see how they would react to trying this different approach and trying something new, but they were incredibly open to it. They embraced it. They were our biggest champions, too, after the project and getting other um, stakeholders like our our supply team group, for example, to give it a try when when we were met with resistance from them, too. So they became really our advocates for this approach moving forward in our business as well. Did you actually kind of go to them and say, hey, we're having this friction with the supply chain group. Could you talk to them or how, tell me about those dynamics? Yeah, so um, we basically just created kind of a roadshow, I would say, of what was successful in some of these big initiatives. Because the finance project, for example, it was a complete ERP transformation project. So they were taking two instances of Oracle, marrying it into one instance. You know, it had thousands of users around the globe (laughs) that were using it. So they were really, I guess, acutely aware of how important it was to get the solution right the first time. So when we saw that it was a win for them, we kind of recruited them, yes, then to give a testimonial 
and just really help us explain to other users why this was practical and usable. I get asked this sometimes and when I'm giving my seminar and training and it's, well, Brian, who's, whose job is this to do this stuff? And my typical answer is it's everyone's job. Like design is a team sport. Now in practice, like should someone own it or, you know, whatever, the role isn't so important. I do think it's probably important to have someone that's championing this if it's a new thing. Can you talk to me about whose job is it on the data team, on the data science or the analytics team? Who, who owns that? Is that even the right question? That is a good question. And I too think it is more of a team sport. At Eaton, we tend to have our business analyst team really take ownership of that. And that was after just kind of figuring out the different roles and, and who had the most direct experience with the customers. And so we looked at more of our technical resources too, and they play a great role behind the scenes. But our business analysts are kind of on the front end, day in, day out, building those relationships with our business users, really trying to understand what they need versus what they're asking for. So yes, in our, in our case, we did have the business analyst team really own that process. But we were more, I'd say towards the end, we were the champions for it. But then our business users really took ownership, which I was proud of. And they realized that if they didn't embrace this, that they were going to have to deal with the same pain points for years to come, you know, and they didn't want to deal with that either. So they were really good partners in taking ownership at the end of the day, too. Is this something you train them on or how did you even get these analysts to be a willing to do this and be learning how to do it? I, I find there can be resistant people. The analytical mind tends to want to understand how it's all going to work before they try anything. Mm -hmm. It's about getting it right and not wrong. It's very black and white and, and design is a very gray space. So can you tell me about how did they learn how to do it and how did you get them to step into that that role? Agreed. So there was a lot of resistance, I will admit, when I, <laughs> when I first brought this idea up, just because it is so vastly different than the way that we were doing things. It did have kind of a friendlier feel because in, in one phase, we create little even drawings or kind of caricatures, kind of cartoons that represent how our users are feeling so that we can see from the what is to what if, if we change something, how, how that caricature would kind of grow and change. I think that some people looked at it at first as being kind of childish or maybe a little goofy or um, not professional, maybe in some ways. But really, the proof was um, so we did go through some training. So, as the manager of the team at the time, I had you know read a lot of books at that time. I had watched a ton of YouTube videos, and then I had actually tried it on the finance project and gotten success. So, after I had gotten my first big win, then I took the training back to our business analyst team where it was kind of a mix of articles. There was some articles, some more formal training, but then it was really kind of showing them when we don't follow this approach, what were our results in finance? And they were all very aware of that. And then when we did follow it, why did we see a usage increase really spike? And that got their attention when there was some data to back up that this might be a, a viable solution or a way to do it. So we really took it in small chunks. So when we first rolled out this process, we didn't go through the entire design thinking process at first. We just got really good at, uh, at first, that current state. So the what is analysis and adding the sentiment in. And once the analysts got good at that, then we moved on to what if. And what if we could get rid of each of those pain points and suggest different ways of maybe creating visualizations so that our users would feel more comfortable using them 
Or what if we did things in a completely different way and maybe you only needed one performance tile with one metric rather than a 50 column spreadsheet so that our executive team could see it. So we kind of started piece by piece and just building. Every time they got a little bit more confidence, every time they got a compliment on their approach, then it was kind of the wormhole in (laughs) to sinking in the next part of the process. Yeah, you validated a few things that I try to hammer home too, which is the the most important thing is to get started and try doing it. And I, and I love that you went from take some articles and step into it because the way you learn how to do design is by doing it. Like whether you call it design thinking, it's I, to me, it's just design. We can call it design thinking too, but you really learn it by doing it. And so I applied your efforts to, to learn it by practicing it. Uh, and the other second thing is that you don't have to do quote all of it to get some value out of it. You could just do prototyping. You could do usability evaluation. You could do what if analysis. You can do a little of one thing and probably get some value out of that fairly early and it's fairly safe. And then over time you can learn other techniques and it's really it's really a library of techniques that you can apply and it's a mindset. It's really about changing the mind. It's heads, not hands. As I sometimes say, it's not really about hands. It's about how we think and approach the problem solving. So I really, I applaud, it sounds like you've had some great success with that. So, and to think about that, if you went somewhere else and you were going to do this again with a team, any learnings that you might share with another leader, like I wouldn't do that again, I would do it this way, or I would skip this and try this. Like any, any anything you would do differently now, if you were gonna bring this in? Yeah, at first I think I really wanted to follow the process to a T, like when I first, when I first read about it, I wanted to follow each step of it. And I wanted to have people really excited when we got to the what wows phase and give me every wish list item you could ever have. And I felt a little disappointed when there was kind of like eh, one or two responses or people weren't really, I think, getting as excited about pieces of it as I was. But I think I would just recommend starting small, feeling out the business users too, you know, asking questions and if they seem receptive or if they kind of light up to really pay attention to that and and what made them light up and then take advantage of that piece of it and not worry about really following the entire end-to-end process up front, I think was a huge learning. And then to definitely, it's not one size fits all either. <laughs> and you can get creative with it. So, you know, we always say like we're following Eaton design thinking because <laughs> we've added kind of our own elements that we know work for our yeah. users that are kind of unique to our industry and to our business that probably wouldn't make sense to anybody else. And just cultural things, too. So I think that's important, too, that you can make it your own. You can you have liberty to take out pieces that don't serve you to add in other chunks, maybe even like organizational change management or other things that might help your organization. So it's really flexible where I think at first I wanted to make it a little more rigid or a little bit more follow the process, do step one, do step two. And that's not necessarily the case or where you're going to see the most bang for your buck either. Do you feel like anyone that you ever hired on a team could do this or you found out that there's a a special personality type or some trait about someone that that lends itself more to this? I think everybody can do it, but I think the ones that have been incredibly successful at it have, for one, just a natural curiosity. They don't just stop with the first answer that they get. They want to know, I think, natural empathy, too. They kind of want to know, if I were doing this job, would I be satisfied with you know compiling a 50-column spreadsheet every single day of my life? 
Probably not. <laughs> you know, so I think it's, yeah, the curiosity and the empathy. If you have those traits naturally, then it's just a, kind of a better fit. But even people on my team that did not come naturally to, and they were more, I'd say, hardcore IT their whole career, and this was completely foreign to them, they did get very successful, especially, I would say, in that current state piece and, and identifying the sentiment. So there were small wins along the way, even with people that it wasn't kind of natural for, I would say. Did you feel like you had to spend any like political capital? Because so sometimes with design, I know the concern can be, we don't have time, it's slowing us down, because the return comes on the other end. No, you're going faster and better is what you're doing. It just feels slower because the extra work is mostly upfront. It's not the end. It's not building it twice and three times and then no one uses it, right? But that's a, that's a hard thing to swallow sometimes. Did you have any of that kind of friction where it's like, we need to slow down a little bit to speed up? <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Because Eaton is a very metrics-driven uh, organization. And so we do charge our, our time by phase of the project too. So to your point, if we were averaging maybe, let's say, 10 hours on average in the requirements section of a project before design thinking, and then maybe uh, 30 hours in the design phase and 10 hours of testing or something like that, and now it was like doubled up front. Yes, I did get a lot of pushback on that at first. But again, I think when people saw the adoption rates were so bad <laughs> and our customer satisfaction scores were at an all-time low and... It was kind of, you know, the principle of pay me now or pay me later and give me a chance to show you that if you pay me now, you're going to get even better returns than if I paid you later and we drug off these projects. Even from a morale standpoint, I think that, you know, it's really defeating, at least it was for me as a business analyst too, when you spent so much time on a project and then you got to the end and nobody <laughs> used it. It was yeah. like, I never wanted to be on a project <laughs> again. I think even from just that kind of that psychological standpoint, how much better it felt when our users or from our business analysts saw that our users were getting excited about it and actually did use it after just their attention rate on my team also, you know, improved because I think people felt more worthwhile and like that what they were doing was making a difference. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a big do you roll out of bed every day and dread going to work? Or you're like, I actually understand the value I bring now. And I, I think that's a strong, we don't talk about that a lot, but it's like, is it fun to make stuff that no one wants to use? Like this is going on. It's like 30 years now we've been talking about this, the surveys on this. It's, it's just, there's a tremendous amount of wasted time, talent, and technology building stuff nobody wants to use. And it doesn't have to be that way. And it's more enjoyable. Everyone wins. Customers win. The users win. You feel like you actually did something that mattered. And I, I, I think it, if that's the only reason you decide to change how you make stuff is so that it's better for you, it's kind of in a way, okay, that's a start, you know, <laughs> but you will feel better. You know, it does feel more rewarding when they're like, yes, please. Can I have some more? When can we get the next one? When's the next time you have availability? When can you help us with this other project? You know, <laughs> but it is a tough sell. I mean, it really was. Um, I did get a lot of resistance and and skepticism, I guess, with the amount of hours that we were um, spending at the start of a project. So, yeah, but it worked out. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, that that's great. I, I'm curious if there are any learning moments that happened with your team when they were out, quote, doing this work and any moments that they had to get through or navigate tricky situations 
resistance to either from the customer side that your user, your sponsors or them internally? Any any moments that you can recall from yeah, that? Yeah, no, I think a couple. So one was I think our business users at first were a little skeptical of us looking over their shoulder to see how they were actually doing their job. I think a lot of our users were a little intimidated by that because they thought we were going to automate something and that they would no longer have a job or something like that, which couldn't be further from the truth. And then the other thing that we saw too was that a lot of our business users, they have a really strong skill set in compiling data and, and bringing it together, but their skills are not as strong in actually analyzing the data. So efficiencies that we could make by creating a dashboard where you could drill in from a summary level view down into the details where before that may have taken them three weeks out of the month to do, you know, every single month. And we were able to automate that. I think there was a bit of intimidation too, that they now didn't have the correct skill set because now they're actually going to have to make decisions off the data and to analyze the data rather than just wrangle and compile it. But that led us to rolling out, you know, additional curriculums and trainings and things too, on more of that analyzing and making decisions off of data piece too. But we did notice that upfront where, yeah, our users, I think, were were nervous that we were trying to get them out of their jobs or something. Yeah, I can I can understand, especially if you're the word AI appears in your job title now. You know, it's an understandable fear, I think. But onward and upward, I think there's ways uh, around that. And and I applaud you for the work that you've done here. So where can our listeners like follow you? Are you on LinkedIn if they wanted to just kind of hear about how you're applying this work and and your new job? Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn. So I am under Allison Magyari um, on LinkedIn or, you know, feel free to email me directly to Allison Magyari at Eaton, E-A-T-O-N dot com too. Uh, I love having these conversations and I really like to see just the different ways people are applying design thinking to their, their work too. I learned something new from everybody that comes in contact with me as well. So I think it's really mutually beneficial too. Awesome. I will definitely uh, link all that up for listeners. And uh, thank you again for going on the show and talking about your experiences. Yeah, thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Experiencing Data with Brian O'Neill. If you did enjoy it, please consider sharing it with the hashtag Experiencing Data. To get future podcast updates or to subscribe to Brian's mailing list, where he shares his insights on designing valuable enterprise data products and applications, visit designingforanalytics.com slash podcast.